Well, there's a man named Gary Dahl, who a little couple handful of years ago noticed that a lot of people were complaining about their pets, how they were complaining, how they had to clean up after them, how they had to always schedule vacations around them, and how inconvenient their pets were. So Gary had a crazy idea. He created what he believed to be the ultimate pet there could ever be, the pet rock. He invented the pet rock. And it's exactly what you think it is. He took a rock and put it in a box and sold it for money. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. Who would possibly spend money to buy a rock as a pet? Well, apparently millions upon millions of people. Because this guy became a multi-millionaire overnight selling rocks. Now, if this is not astounding enough, you can go to Amazon even today and order a pet rock for $30. 30 bucks for a rock. You know what's even worse than that? Do you see what the rating is on it? A 4.4 rating on a pet rock. Who is giving this thing such a high rating? What is wrong with people today? So go ahead, buy your pet rock today. That's what the sermon is. Um, now, what blows my mind about this is this guy just had a simple idea. He had a simple idea to sell a rock, and it made him filthy rich. Now, some ideas don't really change the world. I wouldn't say that was a world-changing idea, but some ideas really have changed our culture, and we, we don't even notice it sometimes. You know, it was just 75 years ago, that's not that long, when the first commercial microwave was introduced to our culture. 75 years. The first one, some of you guys might actually remember this. Um, the first bike wave was over six feet tall. It weighed 750 pounds. And if you bought it in today's dollars, it would have cost you $66,000 to get a microwave. <laughs> Just 50 years ago, only 1% of US, U.S. households had a microwave. Now you think about at our moment in time, I don't think there's probably a single house in America that doesn't have a microwave in it. And we don't even realize sometimes how these ideas have completely changed our world. Just on any given day, you'll jump in your car, you'll hop on a plane, you will even post something online that millions or even billions of people could access if they wanted to. And this is what I'm saying. It's just incredible that at some point someone just had an idea enter their mind and then it became reality and it has completely changed our world. Now, it's actually not even just world-changing inventions or innovations. Think of your own life. Your entire life is really just the result of the ideas that have become reality in your own life. Nicole and I have some friends who just recently had the crazy idea to elope. Okay, they didn't want to spend for the fancy way, and they're like, we're just going to get up, we're going to get in the car and find somebody to marry us. And for the record, I think they're going to do just fine. But I can't help but think they are going to have to live with that idea the rest of their lives, you know, as crazy and spontaneous as it felt. We have a handful of families in our church just this summer who had the idea to move to another state for various reasons. So we had people move to Georgia and Texas and Indiana and Florida and all these different places. And it just got me thinking, I'm like, wow, you think of these people, this idea to move and uproot their lives is going to change everything for them. It's going to change their career trajectories. It's going to change their social life. It's going to change the education experience of their kids just because they have the idea of, hey, I think we're supposed to go somewhere else. Think of your own life right now. You can probably point to just a handful of ideas 
that have completely shaped the way your life has unfolded. Now, not all ideas are good, though. I'll be the first one to acknowledge that. Some ideas are just bad. I had somebody I went to high school with who had the idea to major in oil painting in college. Now, I got nothing against oil painting. Okay, she was very talented. But you know what oil painting major is? A great way to end up back in your parents' basement right after college. A very expensive way to do that. Some ideas are just not good. And you probably have a handful of ideas in your own life, too, where you're like, you know what? It would have been pretty good, actually, if that didn't happen. It would have been nice if that didn't become reality. Now, some ideas are not just bad. They're actually downright evil. This is not a hard thing for us to see. All you, gotta, you turn on the news, and people have ideas of war and corruption and death and violence. And there's even people who spend their entire careers just trying to prevent these ideas from happening. So I'm saying all of this to lay a little bit of foundation for where we're going to be heading in the next couple weeks with this series we are calling Dangerous Ideas. Now, what I'm trying to say here is we need to realize that ideas have massive power. Whether they're true or they're false, ideas drive our entire world. And even for better or for worse, the ideas that you have in your own life will shape the direction and quality of your own life. But not only that, the ideas that become mainstream in our culture will affect the quality of our own lives, the quality of our country, and even future generations. And here's the case I'd like to make. I know that good ideas can come from anywhere. They can come from all sorts of people, all sorts of places. What we're going to say here, though, is that I believe the best ideas for humanity are actually Christian. Now, you do not have to agree with me yet on this, but this is the case we're going to say. The most powerful ideas for human flourishing, cultural renewal, and life itself come from Christianity. Now, as I said before, you do not have to agree with me yet on that. I'm just hoping we can make a case in the coming weeks that this really is true. And the reason why we're calling this dangerous ideas is because every single idea we're going to talk to in these coming weeks was viewed as a massive threat when it was introduced. It was not part of the mainstream culture. And yet, even though that's the case, these ideas are the reason why we experience so many of the benefits and blessings we have in our culture today. And we are in a precarious moment in our history. I believe we're actually at a moment right now where we are seeing some major ideas clash in a way we've never seen before. And we actually are seeing serious disagreements on some foundational ideas that actually shape our world. And so the stakes are actually kind of high with this because I think we don't even realize the danger of what could happen if some of these ideas were lost. And so with that being said, I also believe that the greatest hope we have to see the change we really want to see in this world is actually not through brute political force. It's not through waging culture wars. It's not even through exterminating the opposition, whoever, whatever that may be. The greatest hope we have is Christians living out these ideas in courageous, sacrificial, and even compelling ways. 
that's where I'm hoping we can go in these coming weeks. We're going to talk about some of the most dangerous ideas we see introduced from the Christian faith. And I got to lay just a little bit of a disclaimer. This is not going to be a cotton candy sermon, everybody. <laughs> okay. Now I'm all about exciting rah-rah sermons and all that. This, this one's going to be thick. This is a 40-ounce steak sermon, okay? So we're going to have to chew this thing up a little bit. Some of you, some of you heady thinker people are going to love this one. We're going to, we're going to really dig after, but I mean, it's good to challenge yourself sometimes, right? It's okay to dig in a little bit. Um, early service, you can handle it. Pray for second service. They're going to need help on this. But I want to talk about what I believe is one of the most powerful ideas to ever enter our world. And I want to take a little bit of a winding path to get there. I want to introduce this letter to you guys. Maybe you've heard of this before. There's actually a letter written on June 17th in the year 1 BC by a Roman soldier. He was actually writing to his wife while he was deployed in the military. And if you read this letter, it's kind of sweet because it's just this pleasant, loving letter. He's like, hey, babe, take care of the kids. I'm sending you some money. And don't worry, I'm not even going into the battlefield. I'm just hanging out back with the guys. So I'm good. It, it's a letter you could even see today. But in the middle of the letter, Hilarion, the guy who wrote this, had a strange line that he just casually slips in. And he says this, above all, if you bear a child and it's a male, let it be. If it is a female, cast it out. Now, if we saw a man send a text to his wife today that said that, we would be absolutely horrified, right? You'd be disgusted. You don't see anything like that today. But what we have to understand is at this moment in time, girls were not valued. Actually, the greatest value they brought to culture was birthing more men. And so when he talked about cast it out, he was talking about this very common practice at the time called exposure. Where if you had a kid you didn't want, you put him in the trash heap. You put him out in the dump, and you let nature take its course. Now, again, we're horrified, but nobody would have given a second thought to this practice. It was total, normal, standard practice. There's a man I'm sure probably many of us have heard of named Aristotle, considered one of the greatest philosophers and thinkers to ever live in the history of humanity. Well, at one point when he was writing, he was answering the question, is it wrong to enslave other people? Is there a problem with this? And this is what Aristotle says. Slavery is a thing not only necessary, but expedient. It's practical. You should do it. From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjection and others for rule. Again, one of the greatest thinkers ever says, yeah, some people, because of their race, or their mental capacity, or just their station in life, should be enslaved. It's just what they are meant to do. Some people are meant to serve, and some people are meant to be above. I could give you so many other examples throughout history, but I just want us to see that these ideas were normal, standard practice throughout human history. And whether it was children, the sick, the poor, the elderly, or they're dying, so many people were just tossed aside. They were enslaved and even killed without a second thought. Now, something strange started to happen right around the first century. What people noticed was that these babies that were tossed in these trash heaps and dumps started to disappear. And people were wondering, what's happening to all these kids that are getting thrown away? And what they realized is that these babies were being taken out of the garbage and they were being raised. 
They were being cared for, and they were even being adopted into families. And as people started to dig into this, what they saw was that the people doing this were part of this radical fringe group referred to as Christians. And everybody was disgusted when they first realized this. They said, how could anybody even want to touch the rejects of society, the drain on our culture? There was even a Roman emperor at this time who saw that the Christian movement was starting to grow and their influence was starting to grow. And he actually tried to snuff out the progress of Christianity by trying to reinvigorate the pagan religion at the time. And the problem was these Christians' commitment to the destitute people in society was so sacrificial, it was so compelling that he couldn't stop it. And he realized something, that this level of compassion and love and charity that these people had for even the least in society was not just some random idea. It wasn't even just a good idea. It was a dangerous idea. And it was actually an idea from the very beginning. And even though this idea lay dormant for so many centuries and even millennia throughout history, it was through Christianity that it started to take root. And it started to spread with unstoppable momentum. And this idea comes from some of the first sentences in the Bible. This is what it says in Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. You could argue that this single sentence has had more impact on the world than any other combination of words ever written. And these words come from the Bible's creation account. And it's making a staggering claim that the human race itself came to being through a very special means, God. God crafted humans himself, and he didn't just make them. He made humans in this very unique way, designed to reflect the very image and nature of God. Now, I feel like this is such a massive idea. Like, it's so hard to even grasp. I try to think of just a way to even try to introduce how profound this concept is. So I actually brought here with me a crisp, clean $100 bill. I know. Ooh, all right. Now, this is legit. This ain't no fake. And anybody in this room right now, if I offered you 100 bucks, you would take it, right? Anybody's going to take 100 bucks. I don't care how much money you have. 100 bucks is great. Even with inflation, this will buy you some bananas and some apples at the grocery store, okay? This is worth something at least. Now, this $100 bill, it's worth $100, but you know how much the paper actually costs for this $100 bill? I actually researched it. It costs 15 cents to make a $100 bill. So this is only worth 15 cents, but it represents something much more valuable, right? Hundreds of times more valuable. Now, what if I do this with a $100 bill? I'll crumple it up. How much is it worth right now? Still 100 You still want this? It's all crumpled up and nasty. You still want it, though. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. So the condition doesn't actually affect the value. It's still very valuable. What does it mean to be made... I'm going to put this in my pocket. Some of you guys are looking at this way too closely, okay? We're going to keep that right there. <laughs> what does it mean to be made in the image of God? 
many people go very quickly to, well, hey, we have these special capacities. We, we have, we, we reason on a different level. We have a creativity that other species don't have. There's a rationality that they don't measure up to. And I will absolutely acknowledge, you look at a dolphin or monkey, they're very impressive, but they are not on a human level. I see what those monkeys do at the zoo. It's nasty, okay? It's not the same thing. But you have to ask the question, well, what about the fact that we all have different levels of capacity? Some of us in here are smarter than other people in this room. Some people are more athletic. Some people are more attractive. Some people make more money. We all have different capacities across this entire space. And so when we talk about being made in the image of God, we are not primarily talking about capacity. We're talking about status. Just by the fact that you are a human, you are endowed with an innate supernatural worth. Every single person that has ever existed reflects the very image and nature of God in a special way. And it transcends whatever capacities you may or may not have, any of them. And you think about just a piece of paper that reflects $100. You protect this. This is why you put this way. You don't just let these sit on a chair. You care for this thing because it's worth 100 bucks. It represents that value. Now, if this piece of paper reflecting $100 is worth protecting and caring for, how should we care for someone who's made in the image of God? What kind of value do they have? What kind of worth is reflected in a person? Then? You see, even though this idea was planted at creation, it really didn't start to break through until the first century after Jesus came on the scene. You guys are not going to like this little historical tidbit, but it's just the truth. We got to own, own the history. Jewish religious leaders in the first century had a common prayer that they would pray in the morning. Now, this was not inspired by the Bible. This is not something God sanctioned. I think he was disgusted by this, but this would be a prayer that they would pray. Oh Lord, I thank you that I am not a slave, a Gentile, and that I am not a woman. They would pray that most mornings. There's a man named Paul who was an early Jewish leader. It is likely, though we don't know, that he may have prayed that during his life. But then he had a radical encounter with Jesus that completely changed his life and changed all the ideas he had about people. And this is what led Paul then to write these letters that ended up in our Bibles today. In Galatians 3, Paul writes this, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's what you call a dangerous idea. That is an idea that gets you killed in the first century. And that is an idea that put a target on Paul's back and ultimately did get him killed. But even though that's the case, this idea started to unravel generations of oppression and racism and sexism and so many other forms of human suffering. This idea could not be stopped because shortly after Paul, a man named Basil pops on the scene. Now, Basil was this prominent, wealthy individual. And then he had his own experience with Jesus and it radically changed his life. So much so that he started to have a dangerous idea. He started seeing the suffering of so many of the sick 
in society and how they were just completely discarded like useless trash. And he was so compelled by this dangerous idea to care for these people that he started what would become the very first hospital in human history that started a movement around our world. There's a woman named Fabiola of Rome. Now, this lady was actually one of the founding seven families of Rome. This is like being a Kennedy, everybody. I mean, this is a name that this lady has, rich, famous, and wealthy. But then she meets Jesus. She has a radical encounter with the living God and her conversion led her to have some new ideas, some really dangerous ideas, so much so that it led her to sell off all of her properties and her portfolio. And she used those funds to start orphanages all across the expanding Western world. And she even helped fund and influence the starting of over a hundred plus hospitals in the Western world. This woman, I have to do a couple more just so you guys can follow me. Gregory. He was also a prominent man, was doing his own thing, and then became a Christian. And this Gregory guy read the words of Genesis 127 that we just read a minute ago. People being made in the image of God. And it completely transformed his ideas of human value and worth. So much so that he would go on to be one of the first people in human history to write words against the practice of slavery. This is what he wrote at this time. He said, if man is in the likeness of God, who is his buyer? Who is his seller? God would not therefore reduce the human race to slavery. But if God does not enslave what is free, who is he that sets his own power above God's? You know how dangerous it was to say that stuff at that time? Those are fighting words right there. And it put this man's life at risk. He lost so much through these ideas, but his words and his speaking actually launched one of the first abolitionist movements in history where Christians started to buy slaves so they could then set them free through this man's words. Now let's fast forward a little bit though. Let's get a little bit more current. Just 250 years ago, some of the most famous words ever written were penned that everybody here is going to recognize where they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Okay. An idea that was planted at creation introduced thousands of years ago goes on to become a founding principle of a new nation that set it on a trajectory to become the most prosperous, influential, and powerful nation to have ever existed. And most people who signed that document gave up everything for it. They lost family. They lost their homes. Some of them were killed, all because they believed that this idea was worth dying for. Now, let me do a sidebar here, though. I will be the first one to admit to you that if you look at Christian history, it is not a clean slate. So many times throughout history, Christians have fallen so far short of this call to human value and dignity, the founding fathers included. But here's the thing about ideas. They're dangerous. And when you get an idea that takes root and it starts to spread and gain momentum, it is very hard to stop it because 
200 years after Jefferson would write those words, a young preacher would stand up in front of thousands and thousands of people and give arguably the most famous speech ever given in the history of the world where he would say, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. You know, this month will be exactly 60 years since Martin Luther King said those words. And just 60 years ago, those were dangerous words. This was a dangerous idea, so much so that it got Martin Luther King killed. And yet, through Martin Luther King's words and through the sacrifices of so many men and women, they were able to put a death nail into segregation in America, all because they believed in a dangerous idea. The people are made in the image of God. That we have equal value, dignity, and worth. And just by that reality, deserve to be treated in that very way. Now, I'm willing to bet for pretty much everybody here, everybody online, you'd probably say, you know, Brian, that idea doesn't seem that dangerous today. You know, like, I respect people. I try, to, I try to value people. Like, you know, it seems like we've made a lot of progress in this, you know? I, I'm not hating on anybody in particular. Now, here's what's so interesting, though. Ideas are really fragile. And they can be misused. They can be abused. They can be, even be lost and forgotten. North Carolina State did a study in the last couple of years that they titled The Normalization of Hatred. Okay, there's this very intense study that they did, and it was primarily around social media and how we see the dynamics of human relationships changing because of what that's doing in our lives. But there was a quote they had in here about what is happening, particularly in our culture at this moment at an accelerated rate. And they said this, a process of dehumanization occurs where members of the out group are not only viewed as different, but as evil and or less valuable. They make a case in this study that we're at a moment in our culture where we don't know how to discuss things anymore. We, we actually don't know how to disagree or even debate. We go straight to dehumanizing. And what was so haunting about this study that really, really concerned me is they said, this is the very kind of behavior that is used to fuel and justify horrible treatment of different groups of people. So much so that if you look at most of the worst atrocities in history, they start with this dehumanization process in a culture. So as powerful as the idea of being made in the image of God is, the data seems to show that we're actually losing it. We're losing it in our culture today. Now again, I'm willing to bet most of us here, you'd say, well, Brian, I try to be nice to everybody. I even wave at my neighbor when I'm going to work. I'm a friendly person. I'm not a jerk to somebody. Unless they're a jerk to me, I'm good. We're all fine. We get along. I got to ask you, though, 
do you have an out group in your life? Do you have certain people that are just a little bit less valuable in your eyes? How do you feel about the people on the other side of the political aisle? How do you feel about your ex? How do you feel about that person that, that hurt you? It was years ago. You still feel it though. How about that family member you don't even talk to anymore? Every single one of us has people in our lives that we are tempted to view as a little less valuable. And you might justify it in your mind saying, well, you know what? They're not worthy of being treated with the same dignity. Or they just don't deserve to be valued in the same way. Or you know what? They have not earned the right to have the same worth as other people. Now, Paul, I mentioned earlier, had this radical transformation in his own thinking about people. And at one point in one of his letters, he's talking about what Jesus has done and what it really means for how we should relate to other people in our lives. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5. He, talking about Jesus, died for, what's the word? What is it? Huh? Jesus died for all. Every single person you will ever encounter in your life is somebody Jesus died for. And if God was willing to die for that person, what does it say about the value they have? You see, this should drastically change the way you think about other people in your life. If you are a Christian, your entire way you operate with people should look completely different from our culture. And this is why we actually have a charge here that we need to lean into. If this is true and you really believe this idea, we have to change our view. We have to completely change the way we view other people in our lives. And actually, Paul gives the application here out of this. He says, Jesus died for all. And look what he says as the application from that idea in verse 16. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I saw this funny article um, a little while back. I've just never forgotten it. Where they did this study and what they found was that people who are viewed as more physically attractive are actually viewed as more trustworthy. Now, can you think of something more dangerous than that? <laughs> and isn't it crazy? The way we measure truth in our society is by how straight somebody's teeth is. Or what kind of clothes they're wearing, or how much hair they have. I am in a lot of trouble here. None of you guys believe me today about what I'm saying, apparently, based on this study. But Paul is talking about a worldly point of view. And he's talking about the fact that we use our own human standards to determine the value of other people in our lives. And we don't even realize we're doing it sometimes. You meet somebody for the first time and you automatically start calculating in a millisecond. You're like, oh, that's what they're wearing. Oh, that's how they do their. I wonder where they're at on the org chart. How much do they probably make? Oh, is that their car over there? And in half a second, you've already determined where they're at on the scale of how important you should value them and how you should treat them. But Paul says, 
if you are a Christian, the way you view and operate towards people should be radically transformed. I've used this quote before in a sermon, but I just think it's so good. C.S. Lewis, famous um, writer, author, professor, he said this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every single person has supernatural, God-infused DNA in their very soul. And it demands that we show a certain level of respect, honor, and dignity to every single person we encounter. I was uh, in our neighborhood park just the other week with my kids. Nicole was out with a girlfriend getting dinner. And so I was on dad duty. And I've learned you don't say you're babysitting. If it's your kids, you never say I was babysitting my children. I was loving and caring for my own children. And... (laughs) Oh, that's where you clap? That's where you clap. This is the part we clap in the sermon. Okay. So I'm caring for my children very attentively, and we're at the park, and I look at my watch, and it's 10 minutes till bedtime. Okay? Any parent knows this is a magical window of opportunity. You're like, I'm going to get them in bed on time. I actually get some me time. I'm going to, I got a date with a TV and some ice cream in just a few minutes. It's going to be great. And as we're kind of starting to pack up, a lady starts walking to the park with her dog. And I'd never seen her before. And normally, I promise you guys, I am Mr. Chatty Cathy at the park. I want to go meet everybody. I want to hang out. I want to get to know their name. But I had more important matters to deal with this evening, getting my kids to bed. And so I'm honestly just kind of like, all right, please don't make eye contact. I just got to get going, all right? The problem is this lady was a Chatty Cathy. And she was in the mood to talk this evening. She had a lot of words left over for the day. And so she gets talking to me. Our dogs are starting to play. And I'm like, oh, geez, I'm going to be stuck here all night. I'm never getting home. (laughs) And here's the problem with uh, preaching. You know when these sermons are coming up? And God starts messing with me before I even preach them at the church. He's like, Brian, you better start applying your sermons before you preach them, okay? And so God starts doing something to me. And he's like, hey, um, you know how you're going to talk about, like, the value of people in a couple weeks? Um, are you using a worldly point of view on this lady? Just wondering. Oh, is she an inconvenience for you? Oh, is she annoying? Because last time I checked, she, she's made in my image. I think she deserves a little bit of attention. And it's so weird, though. Because when this idea really does start to confront you and work on your heart, it completely changes the way you engage with people. Because in that moment, I'm looking at this and I'm like, this is a precious image bearer of the living God. And she deserves me to give her some value. And so I, I'm like, all right, I'm going to engage in this conversation. And it turned into an hour and a half. The kids did not get to bed on time that evening. And just ask, hey, what's your story? Where are you from? What's the story behind that tattoo? And we just had this long conversation. And I'm just saying, When God gets your heart on this, when this idea takes root, it completely changes your view, changes the way you live your entire life. Every person you encounter is this endless treasure trove of beauty and mystery and value, and they have a unique story, and you see it. Now, it's not even just changing your view, though. There's actually two other things that come out of this that we see happen when this idea starts to change your life. You really start to change your words and your ways. What we see in James 3, 9, he says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who are made in the image of God. 
Now, I am by no means talking about Northern Hills. I'm talking about all the other churches out there. Nobody here does any of this ever. I'm totally talking about all the other churches. We're very godly people here. But um, I'm just hypothetically, let's just say this happens. You show up at church and you're giving your praise to Jesus. I saw you guys raising your hands, doing your little dance during worship. And then you get right in your car and you're cussing out your kids and your boyfriend and your girlfriend and your husband and wife. You don't even get out of the parking lot before the fight starts. Some of you guys are planning your fight right now that you're having before that you didn't resolve before leaving church right now. Oh, you're smiling right now, but you're ready. You're about to load up after the service. And James is pointing out the hilarious irony of that. He's like, oh yeah, you praise Jesus with that mouth. And then you're off cussing out all those people you're supposed to love and value who are made in the image of God. And the interesting thing is, I know we don't use this word curse often, but what that really just means is to damage somebody with your words. That's what it is to curse somebody. And I'm pretty sure there are a lot of us in here that have mastered the art of taking the knife of our words and twisting them just right in the hearts of people we're supposed to value and treat with real dignity. When you recognize the value, it's going to change your words. It's going to change how you talk to people. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Again, the word pictures here are kind of fun. When he says unwholesome talk, he says these are words that cause rot and decay. That's the idea. Now, one thing I hate about grocery shopping is the produce stuff. You always got to pick the right produce, right? That's always the hardest thing to figure out. And anybody here, if you get some fresh fruit and you bring it home, you wait a couple days. If you were to come home and see this fruit on your table right here, not a single person here is taking a bite out of that stuff. That is going straight in the garbage. And what Paul is trying to do, he's using word pictures saying, that's what your words are doing to other people. It's causing rot in their soul and in yours too, just by the words you're using. Now, this doesn't mean we don't confront lies or call for justice or have a hard conversation. What it does mean, though, is that our words should reflect the very value of the people we're talking to. And so Paul says, you should strive to be helpful, to build people up, to benefit them and bring health and vitality even in your conversations because people are made in the image of God. You should change your words. But the last little thing here we see is it changes our ways too. It changes the way you operate in your life with all the people around you. Paul in another letter says this in Philippians 2, in humility, value others above yourselves. So who should we value? Others. Well, which others? All the others. Every single other. Every possible other that you will ever encounter. Because the image of God challenges us to do this. It forces us to do it. You have to give people this special dignity. When the dangerous idea takes root, it changes the way you operate. There's a couple that I was very close with in a previous season of our lives. I, I served in ministry with these people. Their names were Alex and Adrian. Well, they, uh, they had a lot of trouble getting pregnant. They went on this long journey of infertility, and they were really trying to, um, you know, start a family and go that route. And they, they actually did end up getting pregnant. And they were so excited. I mean, they're so overjoyed. This was just an unbelievable moment. We're going on this journey with them. We're so pumped up. And it was actually one night we had a, a ministry event that Alex, the husband, was serving at. And he, he looked just 
unbelievably emotional, very, usually a very happy-go-lucky guy. And we're just like, man, what's going on? And he said, well, we just had some tests done for our baby, and they found a chromosome issue. Trisomy 21, Down syndrome. Now, they've already gone through this whole journey of infertility. This is now their first kid. It's hard enough to figure out starting your family, and now they're starting to process what it might look like to be raising a special needs baby. And it was actually through this process that they were actually approached by some medical professionals with the opportunity to terminate the pregnancy. You know, the doctor said, maybe this is in your best interest, maybe it's in the best interest of the child. And there's actually, I know a lot of people in our culture would say, you know what, maybe that is for the best. But you see, Alex and Adrian didn't even consider that option because they believed in a very dangerous idea that this child, even though it had genetic defects, was still made in the image of God and deserved to be treated with as much value and dignity as any other child. So they, they went through with the pregnancy and soon after the whole journey, Adrian gave birth to the very first child, Zoe Noel, who was born, precious little daughter. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, it has been years of medical challenges and bills and complexity and trials and struggle of trying to raise a special needs child. But it was just a couple days ago when Zoe Noel turned five years old. This precious, beautiful little daughter. You can clap for that. Now, Zoe is alive today because her parents believe in and live by a radically dangerous idea that all people are made in the image of God, including Zoe. Now, you may not be called to raise a special needs child, and that may not be what God has for you. But some of you in here, you may be called by God to stand up for and protect the rights and the lives of the unborn. There's people in our church who've been called by God to be a part of the foster system and are helping to raise kids that way. Some of you guys in here, God is going to ask you to care for an elderly parent in that season of their life and show them the honor and dignity that they still have even at their age. Some of you guys in here are going to be used by God to model this in your workplace tomorrow. You are going to be the person who says, every single person here is made in the image of God. And I'm going to live that out. You teachers, the administrators, you students in here, you can be the ones in your schools who see every single person you say, these are image bearers. They deserve and demand to be treated with love and respect. And I am going to live this out dangerously, even in a sacrificial way. All of us here, even today, you're going to encounter cashiers. You're going to encounter servers. You are going to encounter encounter gas station attendants, all people made in the image of God, all people who deserve to be treated with the same dignity that you deserve to be treated with. Because at the end of the day, Jesus died for all. He died for you. Some of you in here, you don't feel like you have a lot of value. God saw you as worth dying for. You have infinite value in his eyes, but so does every single other person. And so if you are a Christian here today, you have a call. You have a charge from God himself to live dangerously. 
in every single interaction, in every single encounter, one life at a time. If we will all step into and live this idea out dangerously, I'm telling you, it will not just change your life, it will change the world. So let's live dangerously, church, because all people are made in the image of God. Let's pray together. Lord, I just praise you today. Your unbelievable design that you would make us in your image. God, we can't even begin to comprehend what that really means. But even today, Lord, I pray this idea would start to change our hearts. Lord, we are in such a broken world right now. There's so much division. There's so much hate. There's so much dehumanizing words getting spread all over. But I pray, Lord, that your church, we truly would live dangerously, radically countercultural lives, showing the value and dignity of all people, showing them the love that you have for them, God. And I pray that as we do this in our workplaces, in the schools that are getting started this year, Lord, in every interaction we have, I pray people would see that idea living out in us, the very love of Jesus. And I pray that it would change lives and it would change this world. And we pray this in your name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.